0: Hi, I'm Jason. I'm John. And I'm Marquis. And this is Just Just Getting Getting By, a free talk forum about the creative process and the wounds that hold us back from achieving our goals. Each week, building a roadmap through dialogue with working and struggling artists about how to better manifest a successful show business career.
1: Hey everyone, it's John. This week we spoke with Joe Equality Lampert. Joe is a New York City-based actor, performer, singer, and queer activist. We talked about her years training at NYU's Playwrights Horizons Theatre School, being confronted every day by the renowned public theatre across the street, And how she manifested her way into those doors by taking one leap after the next until landing herself epic theatre roles including a Joan of Arc collaboration with Talking Heads frontman David Byrne. Her decade-plus career of working on television, stage, and touring with musicians may have seemed like happenstance to her, but our conversation honed in on an unconscious formula for her versatile success. We analyzed her aversion to social media as a tool and distraction. Joe is one of the most down-to-earth, naturally welcoming people I've ever met. We could have laughed the rest of the night away with her. This is our interview with Joe Equality Lampert.
2: Yeah, we just start rolling. Yes, please. yeah so we're on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's okay. funny that you say though you wouldn't want to move to another city in America because I yeah. feel the same I feel like I've lived in so many major cities in America yes it's like if I did move anywhere outside of here it would be back to LA but just because my entire adult life has been there pretty Absolutely. much Absolutely. but
3: and I think if like yeah I mean it's I I would never say never because there's like New Orleans and like oh Detroit. my god we love New Orleans and L.A. and the Bay. I mean, like, there's so many places that I have loved to be and have had the privilege of being for a few months at a time and getting to know. I loved Cincinnati. I did a show there. Like, I think usually it's doing a project and then being like, oh, my God, this place is awesome. Do I need to move there? No. I don't know. <laughs> it's like I, I want to move to France. You know what I mean? I'm like, mm-hmm. I just got
2: back from Ohio yesterday. And I'm like. Really? My yeah. sister's
3: there right now because oh. she's, she's she's in med school there. Mm-hmm. So that's We're my at one. OSU? Um, no, actually, at CCLCM in oh, Cleveland. So it's yeah. like a research program. So they do a five year, mm. five years. Instead of four, it's like, how much longer can a person be in school? Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I feel for her. The journey is yeah. real. Mm-hmm. She's like, and then when I'm 33 and I'm just starting my fellowship, I'm like, I cannot.
2: Right. I'm like, good night.
3: Right. I couldn't even grad school. I was like, no more school. Although now I'm kind of craving learning again.
2: Yeah, like. But I feel like the learning bug kind of hits when it does and then the second you're done with it, it's like, oh no, never again.
4: Totally. Well, but good thing we're in the information age and we don't need to pay $40,000 right, for a new thing. Udemy, yeah. though you're not a
2: sponsor, Udemy is very real and... Wait, wait what, wh- is what is that? Oh, Udemy, it's like this... Um, it's a an app where there's all of these different things that you can learn about like it can be in the medical field it can be like you can learn study for your real estate um, license on there you can like learn how to code learn um, music production wow. graphic design all of these different things and there's different people who have courses and you just buy the course and you're like okay and
3: it's like um, a podcast
2: um it's kind it's of like lo-
3: videos
2: yeah it's like videos Plus some text. it's audio it's text it's all of it it's huh. like there there may be assignments that you need to send in all of that like Oh, vending that's... machine Yeah, it's education. a vending machine for education.
3: That's what I'm talking about, though, because
2: like, it... so Udemy, a vending machine about, for I was education.
4: About the <laughs> education. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> but
2: I was talking about
4: YouTube. I was talking about free shit. Yeah. No. Which, we that's know free shit yeah. too. Yeah, but free like, shit. It's
3: sure, all I have there. to say, I'm not great at YouTube learning. Like, people are like, no. oh, I fixed my sync. I YouTubed it. I'm like, that is not something I'm very good at. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell if that's an attention span issue <laughs> or if it's like not believing in myself being able yeah. to learn from a video, something complex. Yeah. But I mean, I'm sure people are like, I built. My entire living room from a YouTube. I'm like that is so impressive to me. No, I, I installed
0: memory on my computer from YouTube, and besides that, I just go that's to watch like, Susan Boyle's I'm audition tape for um, uh, Britain's Got I Talent. Some,
3: <laughs> some dogs singing. I like to do dogs singing. Chihuahuas. I like to see if my chihuahua will sing with a chihuahua that's singing. Yes. So that's my YouTube.
2: Oh, uh, you have a chihuahua. too. Oh. <gasps> <laughs>
3: yeah, I do. Do I do talk? I do talk to my dog. like, I'll be like. <laughs> I wonder what's going to happen. And then one day, one of them sang back. Yes. So You're like, this is all together. I mean, That's amazing. We're it's stuck. It's weird. We're, we're, we're singing Partners for Life now. Um, <laughs> we, do, do,
4: are there videos of them singing? I've
3: never po I'm not on any social on the, mediums, media uh, yeah, anymore. Yeah. I guess it would actually be media as the plural. Yeah, it? I I'm noticed not on any, any social media. trying to reach
0: media.
3: out. Um, and so therefore, I was like, I do want to make YouTube videos of them, but then does that make me kind of committed to this because then I feel like I'd want to keep building on that. Mm-hmm. I have like a channel on YouTube, but it is the least. Yeah, I was trying I was trying to
0: find your email. Of course I didn't actually look at my Gmail and I realized that that I did. I had to ask a mutual friend for it, but I was like I went yeah. to Facebook and I was like, oh, she's a celebrity now. She I that have to like her not, page. No, that <laughs> by
3: the way, I did not start. Okay. That oh, is start there's someone else. A, there is a fan a quote unquote fan page that probably has like seven followers. <laughs> that was started by one of my best friends from college, Courtney okay. Hoffman. Who after I got off social media, I then was in a show and she was like, I think that this show, I think we people need an outlet. And I'm like, "Oh my God, for those five people, we thank you. Like, I'm like, you know, um, so that is not mine. And that was my biggest thing was don't let that thing. Don't let people think I started that show. <laughs> She's like, I won't. It will say started by her friend. Clearly d- not in big enough letters. But, um, but yeah. But yeah, no, I got off social media because it was just, it was too much for me. Mm -hmm. I I actually don't, I don't normally think of myself as an addictive, like, personality. Mm -hmm. But I would say I had, like, some kind of addiction where even if I would take the apps off my phone, I would still find a way to sort of distract myself and feel smaller and more alone in some way. But also just waste a lot of time, which I don't judge any, I miss uh, Instagram. I think it's a beautiful way to see people, you know, to see their... Visuals of the world that, that's around them, but I was it, it just wasn't good. for Well,
0: people. it's not talked about an addiction because it makes too much money and
2: because it's too pervasive. Uh, you know, it, well, but it but really actually, is one. It's like a, it's the it's dopamine. The one. It's like the each one. time yeah, you get a don't like, don't know yet? Yeah,
3: like how to quantify it, but it will be in medical books. I have no doubt. Oh yeah, the yeah.
2: scientists are up on NPR talking about it. They're all yeah. they're all like,
0: no no no. no oh. Here's
2: what it's doing to y'all. Yeah, it's releasing oh. dopamine every time that you that you get, get, a, get a like. like it's like ooh.
3: And there's actually an incredible musical about it right now. Um, Dave Malloy, who wrote and uh, who wrote uh, Great Comet on Broadway, now has a show called Octet at the signature theater that actually is an eight part a cappella sung through opera about social media and phone addiction. It's sort of set in an AA scenario, like you're at a meeting. And the format of the meeting is that people sing, and so that explains why they're singing. And they each have a pitch pipe, and like each of them tell their stories about like. Wow, love. Yeah, that. so <laughs> it's it, it's definitely like in a zeitgeist. What's about. it called? It's called octet. Octet.
2: It's like awesome. luckily phones are starting to release things like Apple doing um screen time. Yes. Where you can But it's a matter limit... of like
3: what's yourself like Yeah, it's like you what's have to your... do that
2: for yourself. That's right. That, yeah. It was interesting because when Super we spoke number, with the mevit she said that she um, set it to only forty minutes for her to be on Instagram per day. And, and I'm mean, like it locks her
4: out. Like, yeah, it, know, locks like it locks her out like
2: she locks locks can't open her. the app. So
3: but then how did but there must be a code she knows that she can put in. Yeah, but she doesn't unlock. want to, right? No, no, yeah, that's, right. it's like that's you have to the, that's the how step deep it works, oh, right. or
4: can really get there. Oh, Meaning,
3: yeah. like, totally, I, yeah. like, blocked a bunch of, like, the websites for, like, a while, like, when I got off the apps, just to, like, not go on mm-hmm. it on Safari. It's, I mean, it's funny, because, like, when you have, I, I hear people saying, like, oh, I get cast because of, like, mm-hmm. I have to write in a casting, like, sign in sheet like how many followers do you oh have my God. and I'm like it's a real well, thing well then I guess yes, yeah, no, it's, real. it's real and I guess that's just like what I'll miss out on or jobs through Facebook Messenger which you know I, I I definitely see that there's value to it and I certainly wish that I was better at it so that I didn't feel like I had to like cut it completely out. But I'm um, with Trump, like let's actually bleep that name if it we're, like <laughs> with bleep with bleep <laughs> You know, and then the show that I was about to do at that time in 2016 turning into 2017, I was just like, I can't
2: do this mm-hmm. anymore. You're like, absolutely not. Mm. So,
3: I should start a YouTube channel for my dog, so that could be the yeah, outlet. We'll because right. right. you get paid, like,
4: if you get more than a million views or whatever, you could be making a stage so like that. always on... thinking. <laughs>
0: he's an attorney <laughs> yeah. now, you know. He, he's always I've got heard that. you
3: say, or, no, I heard that in your sizzle reel. Oh, yeah, yeah. yes.
0: Mm-hmm. yes. Uh-uh. Now, so I see you're still wearing beanies.
2: This is this is a listen. A I'm
3: I'm wearing beanies in full blown summer. <laughs> it
2: is yes, it's yesterday, summer summer
3: solstice. Is all, it's
2: like, a look. This look is everything. I'm giving really you is. like
3: it's like maybe Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. Like we yes, we know. it's actually my partner's shirt. Most things that I'm wearing are my partner's. Actually, uh-huh. that's not true. These are my my socks are rainbow with my dogs. Chihuahua on them.
0: rainbow. Those are my your dogs? dogs with your uh, dog.
3: my dogs. They are self dog promoted. See, I already have merch. <laughs> 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 like, why did I think of this? um but yeah but
4: those singing chihuahuas are your ticket i'm telling
3: you and that luca she is a cutie i have to say um they make my life so much better i don't know if you guys have pets but
2: Mm -hmm. i want i want a dog so bad
3: i would never have thought i'd be a dog person or a pet person but my partner came with a dog so then i fell in love with her
0: you got it then i
3: fell in love with my partner and then i fell (laughs) in love with the second dog yeah um no but yeah they're amazing
0: So, you were at Playwrights Horizons. Yes. And you were directing?
3: I was directing and sound designing. That was what emerged as being my sort of track mm-hmm. at Playwrights. yeah. And
0: I kind of peripherally knew you there when I was there. And then mm-hmm. you just transferred over to the Experimental Theatre Wing. Yes, for that good wow.
3: last semester. What
0: made you make that choice?
3: Well, I had auditioned for it once before and I didn't get in. They're really good at figuring out who should be in the group with each other. So, I, that kind of made part of me made sense to me in the aftermath of getting in in a different year and a different time. I just needed a release. Like I needed to kind of be rolling around half naked, like moving and vocalizing and just, I just felt like it would be a great, I wouldn't call it a palate cleanser, but like a great last like moment before getting into the world, before graduating. It just felt right. And I didn't have that, you know, that, That gusto for a piece that I would direct for a final piece I had kind of lost that fire a little bit Mm. so I needed to kind of be re-inspired and ETW felt really kindred like a sister school to playwrights in so many ways but also was like a little bit more about acting and physical play and that felt like a really fun thing to do after being super structured for a while. So, so
0: your name came up in a memory on Facebook recently. My friend oh. Marielle Mostov, I doubt you, I don't know if you even know her. She's also a dyke. Okay. Um she writes. <laughs> <Then> <laughs> you must know, you know her. her. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but well the only reason I say you might know her is because she obviously knows you. Somehow, because from like, I don't know how nine years ago, it was like a memory on Facebook. She posted on my wall asking me, uh, why does every um, dyke that transfers into ETW immediately shave their head? Oh, I guess, except Joe Lambert. She's always had that look.
3: (laughs) I will say I did shave my head for, I actually, I think the first time I shaved my head was yeah, it was before. It was definitely before ETW. Okay? Yeah, <laughs> It was, like, you know, was like I was like, hold on, shit. Am I actually part of the pattern?
0: But <laughs> but then that shaved head, ha- I've seen. I'm guessing it's helped you get roles because when I've seen you on TV, when you've shown up in like my shows, yeah. you have a shaved head. You're a cult member well, or a skinhead. It like. can be. It
3: can be like it's like a blessing and a curse. Like actually, I wear this hat a lot now because now my hair's like I'm giving you like midwestern mullet you, yes. I love the you, like, I love you know the rat tail you like you know it's like gotten really out of control you know what I mean? <laughs> i'm here for um, it and i'm so happy that it's that it's here it's been yeah. a dream to have a mullet rat tail uh-huh. and yeah. I mean, thank god that i've God x that i've been able to grow it out finally long enough but yeah the shaved head it can be like commodified i suppose but it's also held me back from certain things yeah you know but i kind of have decided that i don't care the hair is like the thing that comes first and then whatever can maybe come from that after because i'm like if you have imagination and you can imagine a wig on me if you mm-hmm. really need to yes seems that that's not fully not
2: there actually, yet they're not there yet
3: i think a lot of people lack imagination in casting rooms yeah. that's um,
2: actually super
4: true so you
3: like, know it's
4: they just take what's in front of them yeah yeah right here, right? which i
3: guess from what you're saying like yeah doing orange is the new black like I did always kind of wonder after that because it was like a half of a line for this audition. It ended up becoming a rule that like was present in a few more episodes than originally, you know, thought Mm -hmm. about. But I was like, it had to have been the shaved head because like, what did I really say that half of a line? Like better than the 10 other awesome like people that I saw in the waiting room? Like Mm -hmm. I highly doubt it. So maybe the shaved head was the clincher for that one yeah, but actually oh, i was it. happy to say i did not play a white supremacist or a skinhead in that show okay sorry i, I can, just I I, to have, I I grouped I just you i grouped you
0: with uh, asia kate dylan's character well because
3: yeah because i was a little worried about that because i wasn't sure i wasn't sure how i would feel about that like i know it is acting but at the end of the day like are is it is it toward a really like conscious point you know and i got a little nervous having holocaust surviving grandparents hmm. um i was like i don't want to put a swastika on my arm on this show for this show just based on where the like seasons had come you know i was mm-hmm. like i don't know if they need any more people to do that so if that's what it is yeah. um and i ended up not being that at all which i was a happy for so well, i but take how that back dare, no just, <laughs> how how, just to you. clarify that yeah no i think the shaved head though was a good look for prison and i think they, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that that worked in my favor
0: yeah me. and the cult member
3: yeah oh yeah and the, oh the path yeah oh my god you said cult member and i was like is he talking? Yeah, about? I
0: know your role is better than you. <laughs> Truly, you do. <laughs> um, yeah, that was that was
3: awesome because I think they wanted that role to be a guy because like the character's nice. name was Jeremy, and I think for sure they did not mean for that to be like a Dyke's name or a girl's name at first. But yeah, they ended up making it a queer relationship, which was cool. That's yes. right. I totally forgot that for a moment. Yes, yes. But there was a time when I was going in for Mary in Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, not the TV one, but a, a Chicago production. And that was when that shaved head actually was, like, problematic. Mm. I had to come back for a fourth time with a wig or a hat. A hat. I'm like, how's a hat, hat going to help you? Because they <laughs> thought that some of the older members of, like, the people who were deciding on this weren't sure they could see Mary with a shaved head. I'm like, oh Mary was, A, Ethiopian. Okay? Right. So, for one, she didn't look like me anyway. So right. let's just be clear. <laughs> B, we don't know if she had long hair. Like... Not every Mary is Sarah Bareilles, although, by the way, I kind of wish that they were because she sounded so amazing. Right. But, 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 you know, just it was just interesting that they couldn't think outside that parameter. Mm-hmm.
2: That's the thing. So. I feel like it's like they get these um, descriptions, these character descriptions, and it's just like, we are looking exactly for this with the most minimal amount of work that we need to do. Right. And it's just like the reality is, the point of acting is that you take on someone who is not yourself. Right. And sometimes the role might be very close to you, but it's just kind of weird that, like, okay. looks play such a huge role.
3: I agree with that, and I also think, like, or if you're playing someone outside of yourself, like, give me a chance to, like, do that from the outside in. Give me a wig. Give me costumes. Like, let me kind of develop into what it is you thought that this thing might be. It's called acting. Like, right. You know what I mean? Like,
2: right. So. Jennifer Lawrence is now playing Mystique in the new X-Men or oh, what have yeah, you. yeah, And it's like, okay, her hair was not red. Right. And her skin was definitely not blue.
4: Yeah.
3: <laughs> her name was Jennifer Lawrence. But her name was Jennifer Lawrence. I, so we said, all right, that's where so. you
4: get, you have to at right. that point. And exactly. then when they can get, use their imagination.
3: Exactly, right? because they'd rather have you for their mm-hmm. promo, Right, or, if you, like have, or talented, if you have
2: those 500,000 or or 1 million followers on Instagram. Oh, oh we need I only kept my Instagram active,
3: which is 3,000, I don't even remember how many... With those thirty followers, they might have let me. Yeah, no, it's true. There's a lack of imagination, and it's sort of bizarre in such an, in a in a world where we're all supposed to be imaginative, imaginative right? <laughs> yeah.
4: Okay. Well, I just have to mention that there is a way to have a social media page and not even run it or look at it. Okay. So first, there's an app called Planly, which you can like plan your whole feed and then schedule when the photos will be released, and it will just automatically do it. So you don't even need to log in to be posting. Second, what? there's an, it's, there's a website called Stim Social, which will actually like operate your account. You give it target accounts that are like yours, huh. and then it will go after those accounts' followers, and it will like their posts, it will follow them, and then gradually unfollow them, but you retain... The followers if they're engaged with your content which oh, they will be because so they're like so yes. it's like running your account people think you're liking you commenting but it's a robot running your
2: account based on it's an so algorithm but the thing is that <laughs> will not stop you from your own addiction
3: well right and also like i think i right. yeah i was it started to be like when i got off what i noticed first was that when i would see a beautiful sky
4: yeah
3: i would be like well, how will anyone know that I'm seeing this beautiful mm. sky? Who am I going to tell? And I would literally take a picture what of a it trip. and send it to a few different people via text to be like, look at the sky today. Being like, I am literally having to undo that I can see something and not have to say something or see yeah. something and not have to have somebody else know I'm seeing it. So it, in a way, like I've now been like, I don't necessarily even want to decide what people are seeing that I'm seeing, uh, yeah, it's it it's all part of that. Same, weird mm. connection cellular. Doing versus admit. sharing,
0: right? It's now, strange. It, 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 we we've forgotten how to do.
3: But I also like certainly. Sharing. I certainly know there is so much positive to it as well. Yeah. I, I mean, I, but and so I don't negate that. But for my own personal health, mental health, I'm just like. Yeah, and some people only
4: share sort of small corners of their life, like the person who's like, oh, this has so much food porn on the page. Well, it's because that's the one aspect of his life that he's sharing. The rest of the things he doesn't feel the need to impulsively photograph or to share, Mm -hmm. having real in-person conversations,
2: but when it comes to the food, he wants to share that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I said this in the episode with your um, soon-to-be cousin-in-law. Yes. But... I immediately unfollow anyone who posts photos of food because I have this weird addiction. Like I don't even watch the Food Network because oh, if I see, obsessed. yeah, if I like, if I see something that I want to eat, it's like I will go. I'll get all the ingredients. I'll like invite everyone over for a barbecue. That's so like, fun. But that's the thing. But when that's you expensive. get to yeah, when you get to the end of the <laughs> summer and you're like, who bought all of this damn meat? It's like. Oh. Jeez, it's kind of like advertising to <laughs> yeah. you.
3: You're like, food Instagrams are advertising, yeah. and I need to cut those ads right. out.
2: Period. That's, That's true. so That's funny. True. That's true. Yeah. So we were talking about you being in the experimental theater wing. Yeah. So how did everything go after finishing that last semester?
3: Well, I left that last semester uh, pretty determined to not be a professional performer. And it wasn't necessarily I was determined not to. I just wasn't determined to. So -hmm. that meant to me that I wasn't going to invest. I was like, I'm not going to invest in headshots. Like, I just didn't see my life. I hadn't really figured out. It wasn't like I left ETW and then went, okay, I'm an actor now. Like, I actually, it kind of reinforced to me, like, I'm not really sure what the performative nature, like, what in performing I would do because I didn't consider myself an actor because I had been directing for so long. And I knew that music was what I loved and music was what I was going to follow. And that did not equal necessarily musical theater at the time in my Mm -hmm. head. So what that meant was that I forced my way into Joe's Pub uh, at the Public Theater to become an intern in their very small, insular um, staff. I was lucky enough to be able to become an intern right after college and work there and like, you know, work in the park over the summer in Central Park at the Delacorte. And then somebody like totally whimsically decided to leave their job at Joe's Pub. Otherwise, there would have almost been no way I could ever get a job there. Mm-hmm. And I, they hired me for this position. So I became the artist relations associate at Joe's Pub at the Public Theater for three years. Cool. That's um, incredible. And it was incredible because music really was the main thing that, like no matter what, no matter where, music was it. So it felt really right. But then, like, sort of small things kept creeping back in, like opportunities to perform. And then Joe's Pub was awesome because they would, like, let me come perform with that thing there. Like, uh, Shayna Taub, a friend of mine, like, did a musical at ETW for her final project, and then we did it at Joe's Pub. And then I did this Jeff Buckley musical, and we needed to do, you know, some industry nights in Joe's Pub. Let us have three Mondays at 11.30 p.m. And then, and actually in how I met your last interviewee is that you know um you know Sam Pinkleton who also worked at the public was looking for dancers to you know like do this dance dance revolution show that Alex Timbers this awesome director was mm-hmm. directing and so like these opportunities kept coming along that worked within the structure of a 9 to 5 or really a 9 to midnight as mm-hmm. I used to mm-hmm. say Joe's pub was because I would stage manage all the shows and just be oh, with wow. the just it's so It it's so great um but then eventually a couple of things came up that were like, I'd have to take a whole summer off Joe's Pub. And my boss at the time, Shanta, was so amazing. And she was just like, I really think you should take this leap. It's been happening. It's been coming to you. You weren't looking for it. But something's calling. And I was like, can I come back after the summer and have a job? Like, I was just scared.
4: <laughs> yeah.
3: Um, and she was like, no. Absolutely. I really think you need to take the leap. So well. in June of 2010, I left Joe's Pub. Mm. And that's when I started professionally performing so thank you that was where that was yeah i was i was like very grateful to her and but what you did
0: was you put yourself around the people you needed to be around that i mean like it's like you say like yeah you know i just barely got in there like and then whimsically somebody left it's like no you said oh this is a spot that that (laughs) attracts the type of artists (laughs) that i want to be that I uh, I wasn't uh,
3: thinking of it like that, but I guess that subconsciously must have been what you did, of what and it
0: and it fell into place once you surrounded yourself with the right ingredients. Yeah,
3: I would. I think that's <clears throat> you know, even if it was subconscious, that definitely feels true.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. and the only reason I <laughs> analyze it is because um, you know I would like people that are younger to be able to to know to know it consciously too you know Well and I
3: also think but like also if you know that you love something and that thing doesn't quite materialize into your profession meaning like if music is where you know that no matter what whether it's theater or bands or a <clears throat> cappella like if that's what draws you in I think it's okay to not quite know how to materialize if you don't know that you want to be a performer of it You were saying the thing about um, like you want people to know consciously, you know, because what I had experienced felt sort of subconscious. But I I, I think that you're right. It's like basically the conscious thing that I did was follow what felt like the highest form of passion, which was like I didn't know how it was going to materialize as a performer. And I wasn't sure I was committed to the idea of headshots and all that at the time. But I knew that music was it. And so I followed it. And that landed me exactly where I needed to be without even necessarily knowing that it would become you know part of my profession in a performative way it was part of my profession in that there was this incredible job helping put up 800 shows a year at this venue where some of the most incredible artists who now it's so funny to be with them performing with them sometimes like or singing backup for them or running into them and then being like oh my god you used to stage manage my shows back in 2007 or you know, so it was it was a conscious and subconscious choice just because I didn't know it would, it would end up in professional performing. But, like, clearly it was where I needed to be. You know? That's the
2: thing. It's like the things that are happening in our subconscious mind manifest, I feel like, sometimes way quicker than the things that we're thinking about on a consistent, everyday, mm-hmm. like, right in front of your face kind of thing.
3: Absolutely. And
2: that's kind of how I feel like everyone's career ends up taking off, because it's like, there's something that you want so bad, but you may be putting energy towards other things, and that is going to ultimately lead you to that thing that you want. Yeah. It's, it's the universe.
3: I mean, I was just so, because at Playwrights, we were right across the street from the public theater, and that was just this institution, and it was like, how can I get inside there? And I didn't know in what capacity, and I didn't necessarily know that it would be by working at Joe's Pub, but... It was the exact. It was the exact step that needed to be taken to start to get the bravery, because once I got so comfortable at Joe's Pub, that stage didn't feel scary to perform on. Mm-hmm. And bringing, and also Shanta started to let me book friends there, and it became this place where people were flourishing and blossoming. And it also was like back in the day, it had like this cre- like crazy couch and this like VIP booth. Like it's a little bit more like structured now, mm-hmm. but it was like we were seeing. You know, I could have reserve an entire couch of friends to see Janelle Monae five feet from our face, you know, stage managed for Adele. Like it was wow. inspiring just to be around those people. Right. And then it, yeah, it was like leading the, like the way toward bravery to kind of step into like an actual performer's shoes. But I, I agree with you. It was like this energy was always there and it was kinetic. I just didn't necessarily see it, but working there was just a gift.
0: I oh, so, love that. So besides seeing you on TV twice, <laughs> Um, which you remembered
3: and I did not I was like what is he referring to
0: (laughs) the other time I got to see you since we've seen each other socially was um singing backup for tune yards yeah that's right and who is like in my top five like modern artists yeah um so that was so fucking cool and like broke uh the wall of like wow you know like yeah was with, that
3: when we were in oakland or, or in the bay or was yeah, that when you were there okay. yeah did we see each other
0: um i was visiting a friend no i was visiting a friend it was before i lived up there Got uh, it. And i was visiting a friend who went to, to the show and was it in oakland
3: well we did we did
0: i think multiple I, stops like yeah in the I, think bay. I, in, I think i saw one i think i saw in oakland and it was like uh because i you know you see friends on tv but that was something different you know music was still like uh, you know, the, well, there was a, a fourth wall for me. To, mm-hmm. is to see you behind and back there was very... How did you end up um, working with Merrill?
3: Oh my God, what a wild ride that was. Um, I was doing a show uh, with this amazing couple called the Banksons. They're these composers and they're married and they were writing a show kind of about their lives. Um, and weirdly, I had been DJing at the Under the Radar Festival, at the public theater, mm-hmm. which was a thing that I get like I be it was also DJ for a while over there and lots of different names. I wouldn't say I'd do that anymore, but I do miss it. And as I was DJing this couple, the Bangsons were like the I was like DJing like 90s hip hop. And then they were like, oh by the way, Joe, um like a folk duo is gonna come and they're gonna sing a 10 minute set in the middle of your DJ set. And I was like, the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> that is bullshit. <laughs> and then as they were sound checking, my jaw like dropped to the floor because they were so incredible and we immediately connected and somehow they were like, okay, well our next show, like or our show, uh, the show that we're going to do, like we're going to have a DJ in it like that. And they, they didn't know that I sang or performed and they were like, we're going to write a DJ into the show. And then their director was Annie Kaufman who was a teacher at playwrights. And who was like, you know, Joe sings actually. And they were like, even better fly her out to San Francisco. Let's like figure out what part you can play in this. It was an amazing, like familial, they're like family now. But when we finally did that show, it was in San Francisco at Z Space, which is like right in the mission. So cool. And one day during tech for the show, the drummer for this like musical play with music that they were writing, the drummer um was playing this drum beat, and I was like, Are you playing tune yards? And she was like, "How on earth did you pick that up from a drum? Beat? Mm-hmm. I'm like, because it's very specific, and if yeah. you're two-year-old fan, yeah. are top five, know. Know. you know." Yeah. And she was playing, uh, "My Country," uh
0: uh-huh. which like, duh,
3: so good. And so I was like, "What's that? What are you?" And she's like, "That's okay." And she was like, "I'm actually auditioning to play with Meryl." Yeah. See, you know it. We all know it. <laughs> um, the deep cuts, <laughs> we're well, not even the deep cuts, just the the good fans, yeah. you know? And she was auditioning to be one of two drummers that Meryl was trying to hire for this next Tune Marks Tour, which would take place in 2014. She ultimately didn't get the gig, but um, she found out that instead of hiring two drummers, Meryl was looking for a backup singer. And she was gracious enough to tell me, like, hey, you should go for this and I'll put you in touch with Meryl. And Meryl's based in Oakland. And so it was all like really organic. And I was, like, so overwhelmed. And so I asked Abigail, who was one of the couple that wrote the show, like, do you want to come with me? Because, like, we should just do this together. Because at this point, we were, like, singing together in the show, and it felt like it could be really fun to audition for it together. Mm -hmm. And so we went together. And even though she was only looking for one, she ended up hiring us both.
0: Oh, my God. Um, Mm -hmm.
3: Because she came to see the show after our audition. and was like, this is, like, a vibe. It's very specific. And the tour was going to be 18 months. And I was, like... Neither of us were sure we could commit to that. Both of us felt like vomiting when she told us that, because that is a huge commitment. Right. Her husband and her are inseparable. They write everything together, and she knew she wasn't going to be able to go out for the whole time. And then I hadn't been in New York for months and was like, I can't, I don't know. And I was just starting up with my partner. And it was just, so we we both ended up doing only nine months. Um, And she had a sub for some of it, but anyway, it was an incredible nine months. And then the next like months after that, after I left was very piecemeal. It wasn't like, but we were straight nine months. And then they started to just do, like, a couple festivals did, did here she and she
0: bring you on before, like, while she was recording? No. Okay, so, the so it's after was the second record, or the third record. The third record. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So it was Nikki Knack. She had already recorded it. Her and her now husband, the bassist, they had, like, produced it together with, like, some other people. And, yeah. So we went on a world tour, and it was incredible. Uh. It, was in, it, was in, it was one of my favorite gigs in my whole life.
0: How did it differ from theater training? Uh, you know, learning, because uh, it's, you're still... You know, learning a show.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny you say that because her background is actually, like, in puppetry and theater as yeah. well. And mm-hmm. she's, like, that's why I was like, she is clearly either from Brooklyn or she's, like, from Vermont. Because, like, there's, like, some crunchy stuff going on there. Theater stuff. She? Yeah, she's totally from Connecticut. I uh-huh. did not know that I had made up my entire I She was, like, she... Yeah, I had made up a whole But she's history. also, like,
0: been to Africa. Yeah, and, like... and Haiti. Yeah. Um,
3: yeah, she... No, she's incredibly... Uh, you know, well-traveled and versed and totally has created a life for herself in Oakland with her partner. Um, But because of that background and because of this particular record, she wanted it to be hyper-theatrical. I think that's what really drew her to Abigail and I as a coupling, because she saw us within the context of, like, music theater, Mm -hmm. and she wanted this to be high-theatric. So I will say it was a very quick process, and the music is so intricate. Um, So as far as, like, training, I will say that thank... Like, I, I like, I would say because of having to learn music so quickly in the context of musical theater, like for workshops and stuff, like that really lent itself to learning that music super quickly. But it was also more percussive than anything I'd ever mm-hmm. done and more rhythmic. So it was also kind of learning a whole new task at the same time. But the show itself was so high concept, so high theatrics. We were wearing costumes. We had makeup. We had a set. We were doing faces. Before. I mean, it was like, yeah. so it felt... And I don't know what it is. You belonged there, though. And it never got boring. There was not a single time I didn't want to do that show. And I mean, I think you were saying you were recording a record, so you're Mm -hmm. a musician. I mean, I'm obsessed with backup singing because I think you can be so mutable to people's visions. And you get to learn so much because you're always singing in a different way. And I I truly am obsessed with backup singing. It's one of my passions. And... It just never got boring. Well, one of those
2: things of like backup singing and being able to harmonize with someone, uh, and it just sound like butter, like just so smooth. It's the best feeling in the
3: literal world. I think that world peace lies in communal dance, which I'm sure, like Mm -hmm. you know, people, you know, and also in in like singing together and harmonizing and
2: sending out those vibrations it's like truly um, it feels
3: truly otherworldly and you know we only did like five shows a week max because her singing is so intense i mean it's like she she had done many tours where she was performing meryl was performing you know driving overnight performing in the morning and she was just like yeah no more of that that's (laughs) right um so it wasn't quite an eight show week but it was grueling and you know to be on the road in that way and to be in a different city every day and sometimes in a different country the next day um so I, I would say that like being a theater person prepared me so well for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But touring is its own beast, and when you tour in theater, you're typically sitting down for two three weeks at a time, like yeah. or at least a week. Mm-hmm. This was like literally a different place every day, um, which I loved.
0: When did you add equality to your name? Tell me about that.
3: <laughs> so do you guys remember when on Facebook when um when when gay marriage when like the overturning of DOMA people were yeah. going to march on Washington? Was Twenty
0: twelve. I think so. it was
3: 2012. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> um, uh, I mean, I think the marching happened maybe the year before. But, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, people were like, kind of like when you put up a black square about, like, you know, something that's happened. Or you put, like, a flag over your face that, like, melds with your picture. It was, like, a time when people were writing equality to, like, represent, like, I stand for marriage equality. Yeah. Um. And then after that got, you know, after Doma got overturned and people started to change their names, like, back to their regular names... There was also a crackdown on Facebook for like you couldn't have a you fake could, name,
2: yeah. right? And you couldn't have names that like, weren't, drag queens yeah, Couldn't it, have their names, like yeah, people, misgendered names. Yeah, they, they which were, is insane
3: to think about. Yeah,
2: yes, it's very conservative, right. very um like, and we didn't all. I don't know, very *Handmaid's Tale*. Like, it's yeah, very uh,
3: *Handmaid's, handmaid's, handmaid's Tale*, and we also probably weren't aware of how insanely uh, like how ridiculous coming from them as though they were trying to like keep security tight. It's like. Y'all are invading our security and our privacy, so don't even, but at the time, I don't even think we had the, like, we wouldn't have known, like, how much they would help Russia interfere with our election. You know what I mean? We didn't know things like that. But I never took down equality, and they never forced me off of Facebook. So it stayed, and then people, it became a thing that got used, I didn't mean for it to become a thing. It just started to be what people would call me in, like, little flyers or things for their events or if i was like you know and so then when i changed my email address it became like the natural thing to be like that's the name i'm gonna use and now it's kind of become weirdly a brand even though there's no like gear or there's no actual brand there's no social media but weirdly it's stuck yeah so in and it's something i like feel really actually kind of like proud of now because i like to be a walking rainbow and that makes sense to me yeah you know gay pride and the dyke march are my favorite days of the year and to me are like sacred celebrations and protests so like that equality kind of just feels like it makes sense Mm -hmm. but it also can seem sort of saccharine but it really was not Mm -hmm. it was not an intentional branding thing but it just kind of came to be and I kind of like it
2: well and that's the thing I love that it was just something that came to be it wasn't this like oh I'm trying to brand myself as equality because we were having this conversation earlier today about how with the world that we're living in today Mm -hmm. and with there being all of these very right wing um views that don't really support everyone we have so many brands putting flags on their logo for the month of June Pinkwashing yeah exactly that's
3: what people have been calling it which i was like that's interesting
2: yeah that. and it and it's interesting because it's like is it for for the product to be sold or is it because you actually stand with this group of people well it's
3: funny you say that because i've had a thought about writing like making a flyer up in my neighborhood and putting it under the doors of restaurants and being like i dare you to keep that up the whole year now right don't just take it down after this month exactly. if you're a safe haven for queer people we need that yeah you might not be a queer bar but it's okay if somebody thought you were and then also yeah no i don't it shouldn't just be commodified for a capitalistic bend. And mm-hmm. actually this year there is a protest gay pride, a queer, liber- a queer liberation march, queer liberation march that's which right. is the original name of what the parade was. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to be on the same day as the gay pride parade and the original route of the pride parade wow. or of the the Liberation March. And I feel at odds with that because I feel, like, sad because I, I have, like, such amazing traditions on gay pride. Yeah. But I also have the Dyke March the day before. And that is a protest. And it is not sanctioned by the city. And so I do feel I get to have that. And if I didn't have that, I could understand why the parade would be maybe even more offensive in how much it's sort of, like, businesses pinkwashing themselves right. as advocates even though really it's just a product placement <laughs> like, right. with a rainbow on it.
2: Right. Could you imagine if Chick-fil-A did it?
3: <laughs> I mean there were no I was at this insane event the other night where the question was it was called the queer and now and the question laid out to these like artists these prolific and profound people was like what do you see as the queer future and one person was like Chick-fil-A was in there," as like Like, Gay Pride, Chick-fil-A, like, it was kind of a spoken word thing. I wish, honestly, that was one in a million amazing things that they said where it was like, where I don't go to Gay Pride and I see a sea of white people. I mean, it was just like, this person was, like, giving you a slam poem and he was a playwright. (laughs) It was amazing. But, like, Chick-fil-A, like, covered, like, a rainbow chicken sandwich. But the way he put it was amazing. Because it's like, go fuck yourself.
2: Right. Like,
3: (laughs) I don't, yeah, exclusivity in that. Regard and the lack of equality in this country, which I know we are very lucky to live in a country where we can even talk about this on a podcast. Right, I don't want to like look past that, but we are in a sad, dour place right now. Just yeah. why we're all doing. I'm curious what you do as a lawyer, like what kind of law you do. I have a feeling it's conscious, but you'll, you'll tell. I mean, you know what I mean by that. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. I do
4: that you know, just, you like,
3: mean. making music, making art, having, you know, getting people to talk to a younger generation about following their dreams. Like, whatever. This is all part of, like, trying to make this just a slightly better place to be.
0: Yeah, right. right. Exactly. Ugh, you know. Before we finish, I just want to hear a little bit about Joan uh, of Arc.
3: Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, so that was actually an amazing kind of come to... What'd you say if you're not saying come to to nature moment where (laughs) um, it was at, it was a show at the public theater. So it was really full circle because having worked at the public as an intern and then as a staff member and then to come back, you know, in 2017 as like, you know, sort of like on the poster for one of their shows, which is partially why I had to get off Instagram because I was like, I can't see my own face. That's going to make me feel highly uncomfortable (laughs) at all times. And it already was like smack dab at the theater. And I was like, no, this is just not... Yeah. Um but uh Joan of Arc was a rock opera written by David Byrne, um of the Talking Heads and it was, you know, a fully sung through like 110 minute. Yeah, like I said rock I would say rock operetta. There was like a couple there were a couple moments of speaking and also just wasn't an opera's length. But mm-hmm. <clears throat> um and it focused you know the take it took was sort of like a very pure take on Joan of Arc, like I don't um I'm not saying, like, I think a lot of people have written about her now and being like, you know, she maybe was, like, actually highly rebellious. Maybe she had schizophrenia. Maybe she was, like, super angsty. Like, I mean, this was a very, like, she was a peasant girl. She heard the voice of God. She led an army she was burned i mean it was like i'm not saying like you know i'm not that's not undermining it but i'm if you're wondering like the take on it it was like a kind of straightforward classic take on like what does it take to have that kind of devotion Mm -hmm. and then doesn't blind faith entail moments of questioning and doubt so for me it was like an epic moment of that music world that i love so much because Marilyn david had just worked together as well like Tune Yards actually just opened on David Byrne's tour. It was a very meta wow, moment. Yeah, wow, your,
0: your world's colliding. But
3: working with David in the context of theater, but like having in ears and singing David Byrne's version of musical theater songs, which were very like David Byrne, you know, um, it felt like the perfect melding of creative worlds, and it was really a really precious moment in time, and also a time in which I was on vocal rest for four months. Mm. So. That was an interesting new version of a practice of being an artist,
0: especially if somebody that talks <laughs> as vibrantly as you do. Talks a
3: lot. I mean, I'm not even. I I just I knew that um, I didn't feel. I was so scared of losing my voice, but also I was like in this monk like state. I had just gotten off social media. I was, the mm. I was leading this musical, but I say leading. It felt also like a, a position of leadership. Like Trump had bleep had just been <laughs> elected, and I felt. And there was a, a, it was me and 10 men, that was the show. And it was like really interesting to have that kind of dynamic and to also feel like the director asked me to be a leader also in that process. And so there was so many like having to like take ownership over like taking up space in a room mm-hmm. in that way, but also knowing when to like try to focus everybody's energy too. I mean, it was an incredible cast. I didn't have to do much, but you know, it just felt like a lot of responsibility. And so being quiet and being focused and coming up with new rituals and eating regimens and things. It would exercise. Like it was a whole new world. It really put me in a different headspace. It felt very monk-like.
2: So on that vocal rest, was it like days without talking? Or it was, was it months. just like
3: oh my god. I mean, like obviously you would say I was singing some things. night. I yeah. mean But it's no, like
2: during the day, it's not like you're just having a conversation on the phone.
3: No, I was not. And my partner, it was just it was a tough few months there. I would say maybe it was like three, but like, you know. Um, yeah, I thought, I felt like it was the way that I could survive that show. And then it kind of just became a challenge and then it became like a really great practice. And yeah, it was like, I was texting while I was sitting next to her. I had like notepads, um, on some Sunday nights before a day off, like I would give myself like an hour to talk with her just so that we could be like, this is what I, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but like I had like a really intense pre-show regimen. I would get to the theater like two hours early. I just had a long warm-up. It was a very, very physical show. I had to, at one point, fall full swan dive from an eight-foot, like, ledge, like, um, totally giving over. I had, like, multiple fight sequences while singing. A couple, like, moments of, like, Joan, you know, in real life, they were trying to see if she had her hymen, like, and that was a real thing, because they, they all, of course, didn't believe that she heard God, but you especially couldn't have heard God if you weren't intact, so to speak. (laughs) So there were moments where they would poke and prod and they were all danced, like they were all physicalized. And so it was a very intense show, but really also one of the most amazing, you know, things to be a part of just for all those things that it melded, the, the music and theatricality and... The monk practice. That sounds like a brilliant
2: show and it process. Was,
3: it was a, it was, it was a really good time. It was sli- slightly problematic. It was an all male creative team, and mm. that, I mean, there were other problems. Obviously, it did not go forward from its public run, but uh-huh. you know, an all male creative team trying to tell a feminist Joan of Arc story right. is going to be a sort of,
0: sort a of challenge. Yeah. Where were you coming from? You said you had an <laughs> no audition, or sorry, rehearsal today. <laughs> Oh, what are you working on now? Yes, sorry. <laughs> where, where were you? I am currently
3: working on the workshop of Devil Wear's Prada*, the musical. Yeah, lovely. As an actor. Um, as an actor, nice. um, uh, I am. It's the very first time I've ever heard it aloud, so it is very certain in many ways that I might not move forward with it, as has happened many a time. Um, but it's like that initial phase where you're like kind of figuring it out with them and in the trenches, you know, and just being like. How, what is the tone of this piece? What what is the vision for it? How does the music sound? You know, what does the book serve as in between songs? Like, it, can it actually stand on its own? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my best friends wrote the lyrics for it. Elton John uh, wrote the music. Oh, this is Shana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shana.
4: Yeah, so amazing. Right on, I see no
3: um, Yeah, so it's Beautiful. been really fun. So
0: exciting. Oh. Um, I am so happy to see you again and get to sit on this couch with you. Me too. Um, what a vibrant human being.
3: Yeah, this has been really, really fun.
0: I am very appreciative. Um, Will You have to keep us updated on what's happening in Certainly. your career and your life, and we'll get back together and we'll Absolutely. tell our, our listeners what you're up to so they can go see you in real life.
2: Something. Yeah, we'll you're, do some social media for you so. That's, yeah. you're basically you're
3: my plan leader. I, <laughs> yes, exactly. I was gonna we will say the thing that this like brings up to me, that this whole thing brought up to me is this idea of um which I, I I was just thinking about writing for like uh the graduating class a few years ago. They asked like people like who had graduated years before to like write a little something. Hmm. And like one of the things that I was thinking about with all of you <clears throat> is like this idea that when you're in school. Or just in the world, it feels like you have to just, like, focus on one thing and be good at that thing, because otherwise you'll feel too scattered. Mm-hmm. And I I just want to put out there for any person who might listen that is young or who's, like, or a playwright's kid, even, like, someone who's directing, designing, acting, like, I think it's okay to try to be a jack-of-many-trades. And that you can – I'm not saying that I have then mastered any of them, but I do – I don't know, the idea of, like, this – having multiple pebbles that you throw out can, like, be equally exciting and fulfilling. I don't think that always makes somebody a scattered person.
2: Yeah. That's
3: why moments like Joan of Arc, like, the clarity of moments like that where you go, like, no, yeah, like, a world tour with a band and a theater background and having worked with the public as an intern, when those things combine, like, or collide, I feel like it's a good moment of revelation of, like, you can do a a lot of things.
2: I've said it for a long time. Like, I'm multifaceted because I'm multi-talented, and I feel like everyone (laughs) has to think that way because there's not just one thing and if you have just one thing that's great but if you're if you have interest you don't want to feel that oh I wish I would have at one point in time Absolutely. it's like just try it out yeah and it's like, if, do, if, if it's not for you throw, you, throw the spaghetti, you. spaghetti
3: at the wall you know and <laughs> right. see what sticks kind of a thing Let's see what sticks Finds I the love that phrase I it, 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 on, it keeps coming episode. back we right. love right. it we, we say love say throwing that spaghetti first... at walls see what sticks right Physically do that. Like I feel like we say it right. like, when we do our
0: dinner party for, for all the guests. We're gonna throw spaghetti at
4: the fucking. That bowl. will be original. Absolutely. <laughs> all right, say. Joe,
0: you're in a fucking gem. I love you so much. Thanks Thank you so much.
2: This is Thank incredible. You. Thanks.